Hello and welcome back to Basic Bible 101. I'm Margie Smith and I will be teaching our lesson today which will be on Daniel. Now those of you that have some church experience will probably recognize this story as Daniel the one who is in the lion's den. Even in our society there's a, you know sort of a general reference to Daniel in the lion's den. And so we will talk about that story. But we are going to begin with the very beginning of the book of Daniel so that you can see all the different things about Daniel that were so fascinating. This is one of my favorite lessons to teach because it's uh, so rich with truth, uh, wisdom that we can apply to our lives. And so if you will begin by turning to Daniel 1, remember that Daniel, it, well I will just go ahead and read some of this. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered uh, his chief of uh, court officials to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. All right, let's stop there for a minute. One of the things that was so different about Babylon uh, was that they would, when they conquered an area, bring back to Babylonia the best and brightest of the people that they had taken over. And it's in this way that they're trying to assimilate the new uh, territory into their general holdings and so I bet you they figured that if you uh, brought in some of the locals and trained them into Babylonian ways that they would understand and therefore would be sympathetic towards the new rulers and would go along and not revolt. So but what of course King Nebuchadnezzar didn't realize is that the Israelites and Jews as we could call them today were unique people. They they were God's own people. And so even though Babylon tried to um, indoctrinate these young men, it, it really didn't work because they were true to their personal beliefs, which we will see. So one of the, well, several of the um, royalty, the people from royal blood, the bright, the nobles, the uh, aristocracy we might say for Israel um, that ended up in Nebuchadnezzar's group of trainees um, are significant individuals for our study today. Uh, specifically Daniel who we will talk about as well as his three friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now that's their Hebrew names. One of the things that Babylon did was change people's names and so Daniel becomes Belshazzar and his three friends become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So if you've heard any of the little kids stories or whatever uh, songs that may have included those names that's why they're different from the names we see written in the first of, of the scripture. We do see them referred to that later on in the book of Daniel. But here they still have their Hebrew name in chapter 1 and we see that immediately the king brings these young men into his um, training 
and through the process they are treated very well and educated in on the ways of the Babylonians and how the Babylonians worship and all, all so forth and so on philosophies well the, immediately they're giving given rich food and and great wine and just really treated uh, very nicely but Daniel recognizing that some of these foods were not the foods that would be kosher for for an Israelite and also because he didn't want to get you know there are uh, passages in uh, Proverbs that talk about you know if a king wants to give you really rich food just put a knife to your throat because you don't want to um, you know just get fat which is I think ultimately the re <laughs> the end result of eating a lot of rich foods it's not good for your heart you really we know today we know that it's not healthy but in those days they thought a nice plump person was healthy and it probably was because it kept them from catching a disease or um, even the common cold and um, dying because they had no antibodies so we see that Daniel talks to the head of the you know his kind of overseer for his area for the um, these uh, slaves and says to him hey would it be okay if we didn't eat all of the rich food we just vegetables and water is fine for us we will be happy with that and so the chief over the um, slaves is uh, young men as we'll say here uh, is kind of, he's found favor with Daniel he thinks that Daniel's a nice guy but he's afraid that they'll get weak and thin and then he'll get in trouble so so he decides well let me find out from the king and so Daniel says well just give us you know a short period of time give us 10 days and see if we look you know so much leaner than the other guys and so he agrees and sure enough he looks fine so at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar and the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah so they entered the king's service so obviously God blessed them and took care of them and honored their um, desire to follow the uh, food customs of their that God had given them clear back in the book of um, Leviticus so we see that right away that Daniel has established himself and he's a he's a unique young man he's now in in the uh, King's service and then in chapter 2 we see that Nebuchadnezzar has this strange dream and the odd thing about it is he doesn't want to tell anybody what the dream is it's very possible he couldn't remember what it was but whatever it was very frightening and he felt like he needed to know what the meaning was so he told his magicians and astrologers and all of his uh, wise men to uh, interpret his dream for him and and they said okay tell us what the dream is and the king says no you have to tell me what the dream is otherwise you're just making something up more or less That's, this is um, a loosely translated <laughs> version and so the astrologers and the magicians say well nobody can do that that's just impossible and so the king gets mad and he says okay I want them all put to death all of these people that I was putting so much time and energy and effort into they're really worthless and so I just want them put to death so one of the guards goes to find uh, Daniel and his friends and when he explains to Daniel what's going to happen Daniel says well 
if you'll just could appeal to the king and give me some time, I think I could interpret it. So he and his buddies get together and they have a prayer meeting all night long. And in the morning, well, sometime in the night, Daniel has a vision of what the dream is. And in the morning, he goes to the king and he tells him what his dream is. And so in chapter 2, we see the description of... Um, a giant statue with a head of gold and a chest and arms of silver and the midsection is bronze and then the legs are iron and then the feet are iron and clay and so Daniel proceeds to explain to the king this is what is to come that um, these are the kingdoms that will come after you I find it very interesting that he says King, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the golden head, but after you will come a kingdom that's not quite as strong, but they are still very good. And this would be the silver part. Then the bronze, then the um, iron legs, and then the feet and of both mixed iron and clay. I think that this is a actually very true of what did happen after King Nebuchadnezzar, who is Babylonian. The Medes and the Persians come in, and they would be the silver. Following them is the Greeks, the Bronze Era, and then the strong legs of uh, iron, which is Rome, and then uh, the time when the Roman Empire is very fractured and having all kinds of problems would be the feet of iron and clay. And then the rock, the, the dream talks about this rock that is chipped from the mountain and uh, thrown, not, but not by human hands, and thrown at the statue and the statue is totally destroyed and then the, the rock becomes a mountain that um, is, uh, covers the whole world. And so when uh, Daniel is interpreting this, he talks about, you know, that there'll be these different kingdoms and then there'll be a kingdom that will be the ultimate kingdom. And it's interesting to me that after the time of Rome and then when they're having this little um, hassles of um, Rome's really struggling, that's when Christ is born and then his kingdom is ushered in. And so, and we know that is the kingdom that will never die. So this this was a very interesting dream, and the fact that Daniel could interpret it made the Nebuch King Nebuchadnezzar so happy that he immediately promoted him to uh, basically one of his chiefs over the entire land, and was um, was very good for Daniel. But Daniel, you have to remember, he was dedicated to God. He would do what God asked him to, and we see this as a problem really for for the king because shortly after that the king decides everyone will worship him and so they have this mighty uh, festival type thing probably like a parade and uh, everyone bows down to the king except for um, our three friends of um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they won't bow down because they know that they're only to bow down to the one true God. Well, some of the people noticed that they didn't and they got all mad about it and they said, hey, those guys aren't, aren't worshiping you. And so the king is mad about it and he says, okay, then they'll be punished by being thrown into the furnace. And so the these three are not willing to bow down to any other god and so sure enough they get hauled off to the furnace which was made to be so much hotter than it normally would be and they expect them to just be swallowed up by the flames immediately does not sound like a very pleasant way to spend your last moments on this earth uh, but we see that um, when when they're thrown in there 
they could they must have had some kind of w window or somehow they could look into the furnace and see that they weren't consumed they were up walking around and then there was actually somebody else with them so you might say well who was that person with them and it's it could be god it could be like in the form of christ it could be an angel but whatever whoever that was it was a comfort to them and a promise that he was there with them and so when they the king says well come on guys get back out of there and there's they're, they're clothes didn't even smell like smoke. So obviously God had greatly protected them. And so King Nebuchadnezzar praises their God and, and says, okay, then then all the people of any nation or, la or uh, language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, will be cut into pieces. So this really kind of irritates the people who worship somebody other than their God, which is just about everybody else. And so in chapter 4, there's one other story. We won't really get into the details of it. But sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And this time he sees this tree and it's cut off, etc. And you could certainly read it for yourself. Um, he calls Daniel and Daniel says, Oh, king, I wish I didn't have to interpret this dream. Um, but you, within the year, are going to be, um, you know, thrown out and... Um, eating the grass of the field and, and just living like a wild man. And sure enough, and, and he, the reason he says this is he says because God wants to humble you. Well, sure enough, a, just about a year later, King Nebuchadnezzar is out walking on his patio and he just says, oh, I'm so great. Look at all that I have done. And God just strikes him with insanity. And so he is insane for a period of time. Sure enough, running around like a wild man in the woods, eating grass, and generally just living like a wild man that he was. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar, once he is comes back, his sanity comes back, he praises the God of Daniel, and from then on declares that this is the true God. Um, and so it's until this time that, that God really had to get a hold of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, after this, Nebuchadnezzar, or it could have been during the time that he was crazy, his son took over. Now, one the um, Babylonian name for Daniel was Belshazzar, but as it turns out, the king had also named his son that, Belshazzar. So it was a great honor, I'm sure, for Daniel to be named after the king's son. So the king's uh, son takes over, King Belshazzar, they say, for a time. And then when... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes back, he is reinstated. Now sometime after this, uh, King Belshazzar, the son, is throwing a party and he has the golden goblets um, taken from the temple that were the ones that were in Israel. Remember they brought some of the temple um, gold uh, into Babylon and so they have these gold goblets brought out and so they serve all of his um, party goers with it, their wives and concubines and so forth. And because that was just such a blasphemy against the God, um, instantly they see this writing on the wall with a human hand. So when someone says, oh, they've seen the writing on the wall, they are referring to this very part of scripture where King Belshazzar sees this writing on the wall. And of course he's terrified and um, doesn't know what to do. No one can figure out what this could possibly mean. 
And yet his the queen comes to him and says, well, there is a guy who interpreted the dreams for your dad. And so they call Daniel, and Daniel comes and he interprets this, not in a very way favorable, that's at all favorable for this uh, King Belshazzar, and basically explains that um, Mini, Tekel, Perez are the three words that are written on the wall. And his interpretation is that Mini, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So sure enough, that very night, Belshazzar is killed and uh, the Medes take over. And the Medes, uh, King Medes of the Medes is Darius. And so we, we next we hear about Darius, King Darius. Now, he is not quite so um, quick to adopt these foreign nationals who are serving, were serving under King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he's a little bit skeptical. But sure enough, Daniel seems to do well and kind of proves himself to this king too. He's a very lucky young man. Now, when, when we say that Daniel had the gift of being able to interpret dreams, if you remember in our studies, there was another young man who could interpret dreams and who had just a knack for finding favor with the authority over him. And do you remember who that was? Okay, if you said Joseph, you are right. Joseph with the coat of many colors that we studied, he was the one that even though such terrible things happened to him, God protected him and he seemed to always sort of, kind of like they say, the cream rises to the top. He just seemed to do well and he could interpret dreams too. So we see that Daniel is now under a whole new king, this King Darius, the Mede, and the situation changes dramatically. And it takes a little while, but eventually, once again, Daniel rises to the top, and King Darius is very impressed with him, and ha plans to give make him basically controller over all of the territory. And some other administrators within Darius's rule, his um, chiefs and and whatever, uh, don't like this idea at all, and so they want to have Daniel killed. And of course, that's going to be very difficult to do because the king really likes Daniel. So they decide to, what can they get over him? You know, it's kind of like these days when somebody's trying to find a way to blackmail someone or whatever. Well, they kept looking for something that they could hold over Daniel that would, you know, some trumped up charges or what have you. And it was hopeless. Daniel was just a good guy all the way around. And so finally they decided, they knew that Daniel, it was his custom to pray three times a day. And so they decided that they would talk the king into making an edict that for the next 30 days, no one could bow down to any other king uh, or god but uh, King Darius. And so Daniel is caught up in this. And sure enough, just even though the edict is made and everyone's made aware of it, Daniel does not stop praying to his God, and he bows down as he always has uh, three times a day. And so it's amazing to me that when you are faithful, God is always faithful. When you, when you are um, obedient to what he calls you to, that he is there to um, take care of you. But in this case, it doesn't look very good for Daniel because they're 
uh, they told the king, well, hey, this guy didn't bow down to you, and you made this edict, and the penalty was they would be thrown into the den of, not, of lions. And so the king says, well, sure enough. Well, then he finds out that it's Daniel, and he's heartbroken about it, but there's nothing he can do. His official seal had been uh, put on this particular edict. And so Daniel is, in fact, thrown into this um, lion's den. And the lions are very hungry, but as soon as Daniel is in the lion's den he begins to pray and God shuts the mouths of the lion so that they do not attack him in fact they don't bother him at all and the next morning the king goes running down there and says Daniel Daniel are you okay and Daniel says yes my God has shut the mouth of the lions and and I have you know he's fine so they drag him out of there and instead Darius who's now furious with these people who have tried to set Daniel up they are thrown into the lion's den and they are immediately attacked and eaten. So uh, it's quite sad for those who were out to get Daniel. But you know what? It's a good lesson in that we really should not mess with those that God is, has his hand of protection over. Um, that that's a, you know, I've always felt that way about anyone who is in uh, Christian leadership, pastors, etc. That we, they deserve our respect and we should be not be the ones should, that should be bringing them down. Although there is a a bent for some reason in Christian circles um, um, of trying to assume the power of the one that God has specifically put over you. In fact, we see throughout Daniel's life that he has a great respect for authority over him and, and always uh, um, appeals with a sense of um, respect and... Uh, humility, not trying to take control or build up some kind of secret resistance, but in a way that, that is respectful of the, his authority. Whoever God has put over him, that's what he does, whether it was uh, the first king that took over, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, or whether it was um, Darius or, or Belshazzar, whoever it is. Okay, so we are going to stop there for the book of Daniel. There's a lot more to the book of Daniel. In fact, starting with um, right after this, from then on, there are prophecies, um, dream interpretations, things that Daniel writes about that we're not really sure how to interpret. Now, some people can say, oh, well, this was definitely this, or this meant that, you know, these people were going to come along, or here's what's going to happen in the end times, because some of the um, verses that are written mirror things that will happen in Revelations, uh, clear at the end of the New Testament. So we see that this is a very interesting book. The first part of it is pretty straightforward and has lots of easy lessons to apply. That And they're not easy to apply, but they are straightforward lessons. The last half of the book is much more prophetic. And therefore, we need to be very careful in handling prophecy because, you know, people can make something up to mean anything. And so I would encourage you to go ahead and read it and ponder it and let the Lord just let it simmer in your heart. And then at some point in the future, if you really do want to study that section, it's not something I would study in the next year or so because there's so many other parts of Scripture that you can apply immediately. But some to some people, God really gives a sense of calling to pray about the end times and to study the end times. And if that's you, then there are lots of good documentaries and uh, reference guides, uh, things that people have written in the past and, and with their 
uh, how they came about their interpretations. And so you might want to study some of those too, some com Bible commentaries and uh, just even doing some of your own study of history would probably be very interesting. Okay, so we have seen in today's lesson that Daniel was a man under authority and yet he used his gifts in such a way that brought great respect for him and for his God. And he was able to actually change the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar towards God. And uh, not uh, Daniel wasn't the one, but God was, but he used Daniel in that process. And then finally we see that Daniel did, would not um, sacrifice his own convictions. He was very much um, true to what he knew to be right. And that's hard to do. I mean, you would think that, especially the lion thing, I mean, I would think that, oh, well, so he just has to pray in secret for th 30 days, you know, but he won't do it. He's very much a man of that, that honors his God and it will not compromise. Now, Daniel is one of the exiles, as we've said, that was carried away. Next time in our basic Bible class, we will look at one of the prophets during this time, and that's Ezekiel. Now, remember Isaiah had prophesied that they would only be captured and kept for 70 years, and then they would be allowed to return. But at this time that Daniel is, you know, first carried away, you know, they just see an endless time ahead of them of having to be, you know, tossed back and forth by whoever happened to be ruling at the moment. Their power as a kingdom was gone, and they were slaves. They were exiles. They were made to do whatever that particular um, kingdom wanted to do with them. Now, fortunately for the Israelites, um, the Persian king, who is kind of a co-king with King Darius, it's uh, King um, Cyrus, who's Persian, uh, he be takes over the area of Israel, uh, Israel, Jerusalem, that whole area, and he gives them permission to return, but that isn't for quite some time. Like I said, you know, they have 70 years to be in exile. So it's during this time that God humbles his people and prepares their hearts so that when they do return, they're a different people entirely than the ones who were constantly going back to the idols. So uh, we will talk about um, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, next week and about what the vision that God gave him. It's kind of interesting because when you talk about visions, there is a uh, sense of, well, that was only for th those days, and, you know, that's, you know, God used that because that's how he had to speak to the people. But if you remember, even um, Jesus gives prophecies about what is to come after him. You know, he talks about the end times, about how one person will be, uh, standing there and the other person will suddenly disappear. They're, they're going to be taken to be with the Lord. So, um, and there are other prophecies that Jesus um, gives too. All the way through to the end of the Bible where John is prophesying on the end times. And so, uh, obviously the end times is not something we cover in basic Bible either. I hope that I'm not shortchanging you on so much of this because the, the Bible is so rich and there's so much to study. But I do know that if you don't have some sort of basic overview of what's going on, it's so easy to be lost. You know a lot about little tiny sections, but you don't really understand how it all fits into God's perfect plan. So that's the goal behind Basic Bible, is to help you understand from the beginning how the Israelites were uh, br 
raised up through the patriarchs, if you remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, how they actually began as a family and grew, and then how they ended up in Egypt, if you remember, there was a famine, and so Joseph brought his family and all of their distant relatives to Egypt to live. They did very well there until a new pharaoh came into power and enslaved them. And so they were slaves for 400 years before Moses uh, came and, and delivered them. If you remember, that's the whole book of Exodus. And it's at that time that God gives the people the, the Ten Commandments, which they are to live by. And then uh, we went into the time of the judges. Well, actually, before that, there was their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because they wouldn't obey when Moses said, we need to go. And so they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. When they finally do enter the promised land, they are uh, they fight and fight during the time of Joshua, and then they conquer, and they end up um, scattered all over. The, the 12 tribes are scattered all over. And so they have the time of the judges. And if you remember, we studied several of the judges. There were many, but we specifically talked about Deborah and Gideon and Samson and then Samuel who then was um, the people cried out for a king and so Samuel gave them a king and so it began the time of the kings and of course we watched during all this time as the people of Israel did right and then they did wrong and they went back and forth and of course it's at the end of the time of the kings when they are carried off and that brings us up to today so and of course during that time the time when they kept doing right and doing wrong there were lots of prophets and we did cover the minor prophets last week and so today we are co had covered Daniel and uh, what what it was really like to be in exile and so next week we'll talk about the promise in Ezekiel for their return and then we will cover a couple of lessons on what it was like when they did finally return to Jerusalem. So thank you so much for paying it such good attention and for being faithful to listen to um, Basic Bible 101. If you have questions, please email me. And um, if you want extra material on this, it can be found at uh, www.basicbible101.com. And I'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.